So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hugh Everding says Richmond, Saskatchewan is a quiet place. Really quiet. You come out here, it's pitch black. It's pitch black. And if you hear a noise, it's the house settling or something, you know. It's gin quiet out here. It's just, it's incredible. Richmond is very, very small. I was told when I came out here that there were 170 people living out here. And I, I doubt that. The most recent census says Richmond has a population of 118 people. But this September, a new group of people arrived in the community, and nobody seemed to know who they were. They rolled into the town on a Thursday night, and nobody really said anything. Nobody said anything. There was no mumblings around town about who these people were. Hugh was in Calgary when he first got word. He phoned folks back home to try to understand what was going on. The newcomers had taken up residence in an abandoned schoolhouse. I don't know. I think there were 14, maybe 15 of them. There were four Winnebago's and a couple trailers, and then people slept sleeping in their SUVs. They set up a security compound, and they had 24-hour security, people sitting in their vehicles at six different points facing away from the school. Soon, a picture began to emerge of these strange new arrivals. They were at the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa, although the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa apparently wanted nothing to do with them. They wonder if it's, maybe they're associated with Proud Boys or something like that. So the biggest fear is that there's going to be more of them coming. But by the time Hugh arrived back in town, the newcomers had fully settled in. They were doing a masterful job, really, of, of putting people at, at unease. They're outside their compound and they're filming everybody that goes by, taking pictures of them, standing around the roadway, and every vehicle that went by, they're taking pictures and taking video with their iPhones. And then the RCMP arrived. On Thursday, there may be two cops here. By Friday, there were four cops here. By Saturday, there were more cops here per square mile than there were in the city of Calgary. It was unbelievable. The newcomers refused to leave. And Hugh's small, quiet town had turned into the center of a standoff. The word that got bantered about quite a bit was Waco. It was very Branch Davidian. You're just waiting for David Koresh to come out. Like Koresh, the leader of this group prophesizes a coming apocalypse that will sweep the world clean of evil. She speaks of miracles and promises her followers healing and salvation if they give themselves to her fully. And she pledges that her enemies will be slaughtered for their many sins. She calls herself 
the Queen of Canada. I'm Archie Mann, and this is Commons. More after the break. What are we doing at the moment? So at the moment, we are, number one, this property is private. Number two, the word school, when spelt backward, is luge, which I believe is a German word for dumb-down. So Romana Didelo, the self-proclaimed Queen of Canada, is in some ways a familiar figure, but also unlike almost any other cult leader Canada has ever seen. In an incredibly short amount of time, she's been able to gain a mass following, despite her absurd claims and alarming rhetoric. At various points, she's claimed to be a political leader, a monarch, an interdimensional being communing with aliens, and so much more. She's urged her followers to take up arms and execute migrants on sight. All this coming from an otherwise unassuming, aging Filipino woman. How did we get here in, in two short years that we went from this woman who was in the attic apartment of a boarding home in Victoria, who is now living in a school in Saskatchewan with 15 people who believe that she is a spiritual leader from a different timeline and how people across the country will come out when they park in Walmart parking lots and give her gifts and, and sprinkle her with adulation. I don't know how we got here, but we're here and it's not fun. My name is Mac Lamoureux. I'm a senior reporter with Vice World News, and I have been writing about Romana Didolo for far, far too long now. I think about two years. Not a lot is known about her life before she became a far-right online personality. She's a bit of a ghost. I've been able to piece together a little bit of a timeline from her, from what it sounds like. She came over from the Philippines with her uncle and her family you know, decades ago. We know that for years in, say, the early 2010s, late 2000s, she was presenting herself as what I can only call as kind of like an entrepreneur grifter, as this woman who had this fake kind of business acumen, who if you talk to her, she would, you'd make millionaires into billionaires, that sort of thing. And we saw that she would start all these corporations that would essentially die. But she said she's had some hard times in the past and has slept on like the floor of one of her friends who owns a nail salon and used to be rather poor. And we can see that she at least was relatively powerless living in the top floor of a boarding home and on the outskirts of downtown Victoria. But in terms of hard information of her background, we have relatively little knowledge. Romana first came to public attention in 2020 as an extremely marginal far-right voice online. She claimed to be the leader of the Canada First Party, which promised to drain the swamp in Ottawa and eliminate all globalists and communists. She was a fringe player for a very, very long time, somebody that we all kind of looked at and we were like, oh, okay, like, we don't need to write about her. She's just kind of this person screaming into the void. While the Canada First Party was never officially registered, Romana was presenting herself initially as a sort of political leader. But that would quickly change. By the end of 2020, Romana Didolo would go from being an anonymous internet agitator to a woman with tens of thousands of online followers and a growing cadre of hardcore believers willing to follow her every command. 
So it's moved from kind of this fringe political conspiracy into her being almost a spiritual leader for these people, into her being somebody that's going to save them. But to understand how she got there, we first need to delve into the strange world of QAnon. Okay, dear sheeple, you've had your fun. Now shit's about to get real. We are headed into the storm of all storms. The storm is upon us. You are seeing the downfall of the mainstream media. You are seeing the downfall of Hollywood. You're surrounded by pedophiles that steal and eat children in underground tunnels that go on for thousands of miles. Do you think that Elon Musk would be putting a laser pointer on Pizzagate if it was just a conspiracy theory? The tide is finally turned. It's time to wake the fuck up. Now, QAnon is one of the most absurd and pervasive conspiracy movements of our time. It began in one of the most fetid corners of the internet, 4chan. 4chan, for those of you lucky enough to not know what it is, is a largely unregulated message board where users can post anonymously. And over the years, it's evolved into a chaotic vortex of trolling, racism, misogyny, and conspiracy. In 2017, one 4chan user, claiming to be a military intelligence officer with so-called Q clearance, began to post predictions of the impending arrests of figures like Hillary Clinton, as well as fantastical descriptions of a secret campaign being waged by Donald Trump on the enemies of the people. He was claiming to have insights into this kind of hidden war that was going on between the deep state, the pedophilic cabal of the people who are like, pulling back the freedoms from, from the average citizens, and Trump and the, and the white hats. My name is Peter Smith. I'm an investigative journalist and researcher with the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. As Q continued to post more and more so-called drops on 4chan, an elaborate mythology emerged. Secret arrests, assassinated political figures replaced by clones, mass child trafficking and organ harvesting. Rather than QAnon being an original belief system, it's kind of built this menagerie of older and newer conspiracy theories. And that was one of the reasons it was able to stay so powerful or so, uh, I guess, so like present for so long. You could find whatever you wanted inside of it if you were looking for it. QAnon quickly spread out of 4chan onto the rest of the internet, gaining thousands upon thousands of believers, especially amongst older generations. And as it rose, it gave birth to a system of translators who interpreted the often cryptic Q-drops for a mass audience. And as these diviners and prophets gained large followings of their own, they tried to spur people into action. It was a participatory kind of belief system. You weren't just reading about kind of the, the deep states and the pedophiles. You know, you were fighting the information war by sharing the memes and the videos and waking other people up. You know, rhetoric that we see kind of all over the place on all different sides of different conspiratorial movements. And though QAnon began as an American phenomenon, it quickly spread. Canada has always kind of figured largely in the mythos. Justin Trudeau is seen as like a elite globalist figure. And I think it was like very early on, like within the first 10 Q drops, as they were called, Trudeau had been mentioned. 
QAnon reached its heights during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic as the opposition to public health measures melded together with the QAnon conspiratorial worldview. And it was in that environment that Romana Didolo, a relative unknown, even in the fringe world of QAnon, began to claim online that she had been appointed the Queen of Canada. Honestly, it kind of came out of nowhere. There wasn't a big thing. She just started kind of posting about it online. And the big catalyst for when it kind of went from her saying I'm the queen to people actually believing it is when this QAnon influencer named Charlie Ward confirmed her claims that she was the true queen of Canada. And that's when her following really exploded and she went from having maybe like you know, dozens to a small amount of hundreds of people following her on telegrams to tens of thousands. I think at her highest point, she had up towards 90,000 followers on telegram. That would be the moment she truly became the quote unquote QAnon queen of Canada. My fellow Canadians, I address you today as your queen, commander in chief and head of government. I am rejecting Ukraine's Application to join NATO. I address you today as your Queen and Commander-in-Chief. We are on the eve of World War III. I address you today as your Commander-in-Chief and Queen. I have been requested by the Commander-in-Chief of the United States Armed Forces to act as the mediator between Russia and the United States. I think one thing that's important to understand about what makes Romana Didalu different from other QAnon celebrities is that she's not just someone who has amassed a following talking about QAnon theories or interpreting Q drops. She claims to be a central figure in this global drama. It can't be overstated how big of a role that these outside sources who a lot like have big, big followings confirmed that she was working with Donald Trump. And then once they were able to confirm this, it kind of put her into this role of being an active participant in this conspiracy. Because a lot of these people who are influencers are passive influencers in this because they kind of read the tea leaves. They look and they're like, oh, Donald Trump means this. Q means this. But for Romana, she's an active player in it. So she can say, I'm doing this. I'm talking to these people. And from the beginning, Romana has not been shy about using her monarchical authority. During the pandemic, she would rant on her Telegram channels about how COVID-19 was a fake illness designed by politicians to commit genocide. Not only did she command her followers not get vaccinated, she said that anyone involved with COVID-19 enforcement would be arrested for crimes against humanity. And it was then that she mobilized her followers to take action. Romana's followers have been very, very, very good at organizing themselves offline. They're an extremely active audience. They put themselves into kind of regional chats. And within these regional chats, they would type out these cease and desist letters. They were all sharing around a Google Doc that had one. They would copy and paste it and they would print them out and they would either go and deliver letters to people or they would send them out. And these kind of cease and desist letters stated that they needed to stop essentially any sort of public health regulations, any sort of public health measures. And if they didn't, that they were guilty of treason. 
And one thing you know if you spend any sort of amount of time within her online community or following Romana at all is that if you're found guilty of treason, you are sentenced to death by public hanging. In one case, and I believe Brooks, Alberta, one group even went into a elementary school to give it to teachers and had the police called on them. And this is what really got Romana on everybody's kind of radar was these kind of cease and desist campaigns that she was sending out. Were they effective? No, they weren't effective at all. But they did make some people scared. And violence has been a central part of Romana's rhetoric. She's always talking about executing people. Maybe a lot less now, but it was definitely a really big cornerstone when she was coming up. And for... Her followers, they love celebrating it. They even have a, an emoji of a milkshake that is a really weird kind of reference to how they think Hillary Clinton was put to death. They believe that she was given a strawberry milkshake right before she was killed. And so they kind of say, give them their milkshake, which is this weird sort of, I don't know if I would call it a death threat, but like this celebration of the, the killings of people. And she's always like, what kind of punishment should people have? And then they all come in, they're like public hanging, and they they love discussing how they're going to publicly execute their enemies. She even tried to create her own personal militia. She called them duck hunters. It was this kind of group of people who were going to help out the, the special force that she was going to bring in from America to hunt down people that were facilitating vaccinations for children. And they kind of organized themselves into this one group chat they called the Duck Hunters, which I, of course, got myself into, which it wasn't very hard to get myself into. And inside there, people were posting pictures of their guns and they were saying they were ready for whenever Romana said it, they were going to go. And within this group, one man actually got himself arrested because he wrote in regards to his daughter's school who was giving them vaccinations the next day. He wrote the address of it, I believe. And then he wrote, bang, bang. I don't believe he was charged with anything, but he was arrested in connection to this. After these threats, the RCMP even detained Romana Didalu for a mental health check. But they let her go. And ever since then, Romana has claimed that this proves that she's of sound mind. In 2022, the second phase of Romana's reign began. Romana and many of her followers hit the road to join up with the trucker convoy in Ottawa. She started a little later than everybody else and got across the country very quickly. She initially rounded up a few of kind of her chat admins, like very dedicated followers, fundraised, got a couple of RVs together, took them from out in BC all the way to Ottawa and then had a really bad time in Ottawa. She had a tremendous following that was there, or at least people who were interested in her kind of her decrees and the things that she was saying. But when she got there, she made the mistake of burning a Canadian flag. You could light a lot of things on fire during the convoy. A Canadian flag was probably not one of them. And while Romana became a joke in the national media and even amongst others on the far right, she retained a group of ever more fervent followers who tied themselves to her completely. She's not charismatic. 
She's not personable. I don't get it. She is not entertaining. I do not know how these people have such a connection with her, but they do. I have a little bit of a pet theory that they're really connected to the group that they're in. They're really connected to the chat room and the other people that are following her because I'm in there a lot, more than I should say, more than I tell my editors and my therapist. And they all have kind of interconnected relationships and they all say good morning to each other and they all really love this community. And to me, that makes more sense than actually enjoying what Didalo has to say because she's very boring and very not charismatic. Despite her strangely plain presentation, her rhetoric has become increasingly extreme and increasingly bizarre. One thing I tell a lot of people when I'm trying to explain it to them is don't try and rationalize it because your brain won't wrap around what she's telling her followers. It doesn't make sense. It's not consistent. It changes all the time. And it it's very fluid. It started out as pretty hardline QAnon stuff. She's working with Donald Trump. She's fighting an international cabal of pedophiles. She's doing this kind of very cliche things that you see in the movement. But ever since then, it's it's grown into its own very esoteric thing, that she's a being from a different timeline who is here to bring us on to her kind of realm. She's going to snap her fingers and this thing is going to happen that clears up everybody's debt. She's working with the Arcturians, which is this intergalactic alliance of aliens. Romana started out as the leader of a fake political party then moved on to claim that she'd been appointed the Queen of Canada. And now, she says that she's an interdimensional being sent to Earth to save the people here. By this point, Romana had become a full-on cult leader. And while all of this is pretty ludicrous, the consequences for her followers have been very real. One thing that I always say in regards to speaking about Romana is that while there might be a lot of humor on the macro level, On the micro level, there's nothing but tragedy. I've seen a lot of her followers speak about the fact that their belief in her has alienated them from their loved ones. In some cases, it's actually broken up families. Uh, People have spoken about husbands wanting to divorce them. People have spoken about children not wanting to speak to them anymore. In some really sad cases, people have spoken to uh, the fact that they're not allowed to see their grandkids until they kind of start getting their heads screwed on right. But one of the most devastating things that's happened is how her followers have been treated financially. One of the things that Romana is always asking is for them to send them money. Romana doesn't have a lot of money, and this is all completely financed by her followers. But that's relatively normal when it comes to groups like this. And the decrees that Romana has sent out to her followers have led many of them to make disastrous choices for themselves. She's told a lot of her followers in these royal decrees that they don't need to pay their utility bills anymore, that they don't need to pay their electricity bills anymore, that they don't need to pay their hydro anymore, that they don't need to pay their rent anymore. And that has led to a lot of them suffering their electricity being turned off. That has led to a lot of them having utilities shut off. That has led to some of them actually losing their homes. In one case, I've actually gotten my hands on court documents in regards to this one woman who lost her home in Alberta and scribbled in on one of the bottom of the pages, the judge wrote in, 
you cannot reference Roman and Didolo anymore. And that just goes to show how far some of her followers will take it. Romana's travels didn't stop with the Ottawa convoy. For several years now, she's been on a never-ending tour of Canada with a fluctuating amount of people and a fluctuating amount of vehicles. But at the heart of it is this big motorhome with her face plastered on the side of it that says Her Majesty Romana Didolo. And I believe it has their fake flag that they have on the side of it. And this just kind of drives around Canada going from, you know, city to city, usually parking in some sort of large parking lot at, say, a Walmart or a Canadian Tire. And then her followers come out and they give her adulation, they give her gifts, and they give her money. It can be anywhere from, say, like, you know, four to five vehicles and like three motorhomes to just like at its worst, like two motorhomes and one or two vehicles. And the people kind of, her little posse that travel along with her can be from anywhere from like, say, eight to 20 people. This really bad little magical mystery tour that's happening across Canada, whatever the opposite of magic is, this shitty mystery tour that's taking part. I've spoken to several people that were on this convoy and have lived with her, and their days are full of busy work. She keeps them busy for upwards of 16 hours a day. And speaking to people that are kind of cult experts, that this is pretty typical because it keeps people from kind of like asking questions. They're always busy. They're so tired. And so they're either like, making long drives to places where they don't need to go. They're doing really roundabout grocery trips. They're reorganizing things. She rules with an iron fist and is not good to her people from what I have heard. And she's found strange, horrible ways to torture her followers. Specifically, Boney M's 1979 Eurodisco hit, Rasputin. And she loves it. She used to play it to start all of her speeches to start all of her rallies. Speaking to her followers, she would start every morning with it. She would go on the buses and she would play the Rasputin. And if you're not like aware of the song, A, you should be because it's a banger. I'm a little sick of it, but it's like a really great, it's a, a rah, rah, Rasputin, lover of the Russian queen. Great tune, great tune. Completely fucking ruined for me now because of this call. This became kind of a theme song for her. And now it's to the point where one of her followers actually made a parody song for her, which is like, Ra Ra Romana, Precious Queen of Canada, I believe is how it goes. Ra Ra Romana, Precious Queen of Canada. She's taking names and she's kicking ass. And she starts like every one of her live streams with this song. And you can hear her followers in the background kind of singing it. But while this is, and again, it, it's such a constant thing with Romana where like this is so humorous and so funny, but it also has like this weird, darkly weird edge to it because I remember speaking to one of the people that were traveling with her and she played it for them on a motorhome for 10 hours in a row, which is a CIA torture technique. And I don't know why she did this. I spoke to the woman she did this to and she thinks it was just to break them. But she just played it over and over. Since embarking on their nationwide tour, Romana Didolo and her followers have made their presence felt in a number of small Canadian communities. Sometimes they're ignored. Other times, the locals have made sure that they feel unwelcome. In Glace Bay on Cape Breton Island, they arrived not long after Hurricane Fiona had devastated the area. And once Romana began preaching that it had all been fake news, she was unceremoniously chased out of town. 
They were then invited to Tatamagush, Nova Scotia by a follower who owned a local holistic health store, but she soon up and left there too. When she arrived in Kamsak, Saskatchewan, people from the town and the nearby Cody First Nation protested her heavily. The indigenous residents were particularly offended by her claim to be the, quote, National Indigenous Chief of Canada. But in Richmond, Saskatchewan, she's made one of her longest stands. If you haven't been there, is a lovely little town in rural southern Saskatchewan, population about 130. It's a town that has a hockey arena and no grocery store. Maybe like three or four streets in total. Very, very, very small. When you drive into Richmond, the first thing you see is kind of this abandoned school. It's a decommissioned school that was there for generations until it was kind of taken out of service in 2008 because it would have been too expensive to modernize. So one of the townsfolk, a man named Rick Manns, who didn't always live in the town, but he has connections. His dad owned one of the motels that used to be active in there, and everybody kind of knows him. He actually purchased this abandoned school that just kind of was sitting there and promised the town that he would put in a cannabis grow up. And the town actually kind of celebrated this. But instead, Mance, who's an avid Didalo follower, offered it up to be the base for the Kingdom of Canada. It wasn't long before they were sending out the cease and desist letters to town officials, threatening them with public executions if they didn't stop their, quote, Rothschild CCP-based communistic, unfair, demoralizing, and immoral activities and behaviors, unquote. The biggest thing the town was worried about is they weren't necessarily worried about Didalo because they know that she's kind of in it for the grift a little bit. She's in it for making this last as long as she can. But who they are worried about is Didalo's followers and maybe somebody coming in and listening to her rhetoric because she's calling all these people Nazis. She's saying the mayor is corrupt and is out to burn down her school and and people are out for violence. So they're worried about somebody listening to this rhetoric and coming in and committing violence on the town on behalf of Romana, taking action in their own hands. But a month after she arrived, Romana was set to hold what she called a sovereignty ceremony, where her followers could pledge allegiance to her in person. Mac went to Richmond that day. And October 14th was a very big day for this group because they were holding um, a meet and greet uh, and this ritual that they were having. So they had all of their followers from, say, like Western Canada, well, maybe more accurate to put Saskatchewan and Alberta, come in, drive all this way out and have this weird little ritual inside the school. They put this out publicly so the town knew about this. And so at the same time, the town was like, well, fuck that. We're going to have a protest of our own. And so when I pulled in there the night before, there was check stops on the road. It was flooded with RCMP officers. I bet per capita that day, Richmond was the most heavily policed part of the country. Each of the four entry points into Richmond had a check stop where police asked you what you were doing. And every street would have cops on it. And there was these two ever-present plainclothes special forces RCMP agents that were working as liaisons for both the townsfolk and the cult. And, you know, a very heavy police presence doesn't really help to alleviate any paranoia at times, even though the townsfolk said that they really quite appreciated having them there. All these people flooded into the school. 
and the townsfolk at the same time had this protest and it created this really tense moment almost a standoff between the town and Didalo nothing occurred no violence happened even though the term Waco was thrown around a little bit too liberally for me but it was it was a scene tell you that it was a scene i was happy i was there but it was wild since then romana and her followers briefly left the schoolhouse for a week but as of this recording they've returned the residents of richmond are still living with an unpredictable cult that fetishizes violence in their midst and we don't yet know how this story ends But for Mac, who's followed Romana Didalo's transformation into Canada's most unlikely cult leader, he's witnessed firsthand so much of the wreckage that she's left in her wake. Broken lives, broken families. I remember her second-in-command, a woman named Darlene Ondi, who was kind of her press secretary, came on with a man. And they just left this man on the side of the road and kind of broke up this relationship that they had. And I remember he was posting like tearful things about how he wanted to come back and he would die for her, but they just left him. And the many, many broken promises. He remembers going to an event in Victoria, BC. It was the first time that he'd seen her in person. So she was kind of walking around, all these people were coming out. I remember seeing one woman burst into tears when she saw her and then hearing her kind of talk. And it was actually like a little heartbreaking. This woman had a degenerative disease that was causing her to lose all her teeth. And Didalo promises these things called med beds that will fix any illness. And so she was crying believing that she was going to be able to fix this degenerative disease that was causing her so much pain and causing her so much suffering. Of course, Romana didn't provide this woman any miracle technology. And it's people suffering and it's hard to watch sometimes. I get that a lot of people really love dunking on this community. They are funny. What they believe is ridiculous. But they're suffering and I think a lot of people lose sight of that. One of the many things that's remarkable about this story is just how quickly it's all unfolded. Well, the big thing that really drew me to Romana is how active her following is and how she was able to so deftly go from an online following to an offline following. There's only been a few of the groups that have been able to walk that tightrope so well. We saw this truly American conspiracy get morphed into into Canada. And this kind of big tent universal conspiracy theories and kind of the singularity of conspiracies as my colleague Anna Merlin likes to put it is going to become more and more dominant. 
So I think Romana is a bit of a harbinger of future groups. And that's why I find her so fascinating. I don't think she's unique. I think there's going to be a lot more like her in the future. I hope not. But I think the way we're going is that we're going to see more little groups like this popping up. And that's why I find her so fascinating. I, I think unless we figure things out, this is the direction we're going. That's your episode of Commons. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. This episode relied on work done by Mac Lamaru at Vice News, Peter Smith at the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, Mike Rothschild, Christine Sarteshi, and many others. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at CommonsPod. You can also email me, arshi at canadaland.com. This episode was produced by me, Noor Azria, and Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Annette Edgefor. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglesi. And our music is by Nathan Burley. You can listen to Commons ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you'll get premium access to all of our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You'll also get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events, and more than anything else, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. And you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.